Shattering the Glass Ceiling is a production of the Connecticut Democratic Party. I'm Tanaya Baker. And I'm Jacqueline Cozen. And we're your hosts for conversations with women who are the trailblazers, rising stars, elected officials, and campaign pros who make you say, I'm with her. Their guest today is Tony Harp, former mayor of the Elm City, New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome, everybody, to our inaugural podcast of Shattering the Glass Ceiling. Uh, we're very excited uh, to launch this uh, today with uh, Mayor Tony Harp. And we really enjoyed having you as part of the conversation last week for our Black Women's Leadership Panel. So many people raved about it and loved hearing from you. So we thought, what? how better else to start our podcast than with you? So thank you so much. Well- Thank you for inviting me. It's really an honor and a privilege. So thank you. As Jacqueline said, thank you for joining us. And I'm like super excited for this. Uh, so getting getting straight into the questions, I know for me, especially as a woman of color, um, you're one of like the inspirations. So I wanted to get started with, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up? Your experiences as a child? We just want to know more about you. Sure. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, which is the capital of the state of Utah. From And Utah's between um, Wyoming, Nevada, and Colorado. So it's in the middle of the West. Um, and I grew up in a community that was largely a Mormon community. And so, you know, it was probably very different than most communities, certainly here in Connecticut, but probably across the country. Uh, religion and uh, the thinking about um, what that means in your life was really involved in almost everything, even public education. But I was raised by my grandparents. Um, I was adopted when I was about five years old. And um, so I think that made it different. I was sort of raised by the older generation. And I, I honestly, as I think back about it, it was probably one of the things that really uh, saved my life and my future. Um, so they were, I then became their youngest child and they invested a lot in me. So I'm really grateful to them for all that they did. Great. And, and what are just some of your experiences uh, growing up as a child? Like, what are some of the key things maybe like you remember that kind of shaped you on your way? You know, I, this is um, something that I, 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 talk about a lot sometimes um, because of the sort of anti-vaxxers that that um, exist among us these days but when I was about four years old I contracted polio and I had two um, strains of polio the the kind that uh, paralyzed your legs uh, and also the kind that uh, impacts your lungs so one of the things that I remember growing up is, um, is being in an iron lung. They don't even have them anymore. So people, <laughs> people probably don't know what I'm talking about, but if you ever oh, get I've to heard, go to- I've heard of these. Yeah, like, yeah. like a chamber kind of. It's a chamber. They put your whole body in there. They, they, force, uh, they force it to breathe. They force the lungs to, to work. So as a little kid, I remember um, going in there. I didn't go there initially while I was in the hospital. And I remember there was a, a, another girl, I think her name was Sally, and she went into the iron lung and she never came back to our room. And I always wondered about that. 
Um, but, you know, I, I found out later as I grew older that she had passed away. Oh, wow. And so um, I was a little afraid to go into that iron lung. But, you know, I was one of the ones that, that came out. But what I think about the most is that I had to learn to walk again. And, um, and learning to walk again, because my family helped me, they worked with me, it was really great. But I really couldn't skip. And I know that's it's kind of silly, but you know, all the other kids could skip and balance on both legs. I know, you know how you skip on both legs. I can only <laughs> skip on one. And I always felt that that was probably the worst thing about having polio. Uh, I mean, there were certainly worse things because there were um, some kids in, in our community that were limp because of it, but I couldn't skip. And I think that it took me about five years to learn to skip and sort of have a balance on both legs. And, and so that I remember, I also remember my mother having to work um, and not being able to stay with me very long in the hospital. And, um, and I remember her prayers and I kind of think that her prayers were what got me through. Wow. Wow. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And I, I, I would imagine now that we're in this pandemic um, cause it, I mean, it, it, it's similar in a little bit of a sense of where, you're hearing about these people having a lot of trouble and it's, um, you know, with the breathing and everything else. And then you have like um, uh, being separated, like you can't go in and, and hold these people's hands. You can't be with your family. Um, I don't know if that's like triggered anything for you or well, uh, you've been touched by it. Well, you know, it, it, it does remind me of that and you know one of the things that helped me was I had a vivid imagination so I just imagined my mother being there even though she wasn't and I don't know if that will help anybody else but I, I it also makes me think about vaccines and I know that we're not really necessarily talking about policy but when I grew up there weren't vaccines for the measles I contracted the measles there weren't I contracted the mumps. Uh, There weren't vaccines for chickenpox. I got that. So I got all of uh, a whole panoply of of bacteria, I guess, throughout my young life and had all of those things and had to deal with them. And, you know, I think now so many people don't ever have to worry about those things. They're never confronted with them. So it's really easy to think that vaccines don't work. But I, I can tell you when you don't have them, you get really sick. <laughs> and so get your COVID vaccine. <laughs> so I really think it's important. I got my first shot. Out, oh, and on International Women's Day, I will get my second one. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Moderna. Celebrate. And, yeah. And so uh, I really think it's important that, that people take these things seriously and these diseases seriously and to the degree... I mean, things always get better and there are things that we learn, but you know, when you have a way to fight these things, it's far better, I think, than contracting them just based upon my experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so I wanna tell you too, that the first time that I went to vote was when I was about nine years old. And uh, it was a long, 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 long time ago, as you can well imagine. But one of the things that my father did, he said, I'm taking you, to um, vote with me because there are people in our country who live in other states who cannot vote. 
people who look like you and me. And so we are going to vote on their behalf and you're going to go with me and see how important it is. And I think that's another thing that stuck with me, that voting is important and that everybody, uh, at least at that particular point in time, and even now, if you think about it, and the great bill that was just passed last night by uh, Congress, uh, uh, making sure that those voting rights are available to people, it's so critically important. But my father made sure that I knew at a very young age how important it was. And so he took me to the polls with him now. And all honesty, he probably had to babysit that day. But, <laughs> <laughs> as I reflect on it, but, you know, in all true honesty, it really did and has, you know, all these years left an imprint, you know, that he thought it was important enough that he recognized how unfair it was for some people to be able to vote and others not to be able to vote. Um, would you, was, would that be like your first political experience, would you say? I would say it would be my first political experience. Um, and, you know, like, yes, that would absolutely be my first. Right around that time, you know, the television, had, <laughs> that's how old I am, television <laughs> became uh, available to almost everyone. And uh, there were also commercials. This was uh, when Eisenhower ran. It was a long time ago. And so um, just sort of watching that and then uh, having my father be thoughtful enough to take me to the polls really connected all of that for me. Yeah, my parents my parents did that with us too. Tonight, was that, did that happen with you too? Did you? Oh, well, with me, I was, I was older. I was 14, but yeah, I was forced in from my mom. <laughs> to person <laughs> at 14 instead of being outside and playing now uh, I did both but I was uh, I was put into politics as soon as she got into politics I was put into politics immediately too and working on campaigns and my first my first job was working with um organizing so yeah I have the same experience of being young just being pushed into politics and and at first I was like I don't want to do this but I'm thankful for it because it, it opens your eyes at a young age to, to so many things that you want to be aware of. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So when, what was your first campaign? Uh, Mine? Well, uh, Mayor Hart, like. Which, oh, OK. You know, did you I, on campaigns or did I, you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you, this is a really kind of funny story, but I was um, uh, I just delivered my first child. Um, and I was in the hospital in those days, just stayed in the hospital a pretty long time. Uh, and then, you know, we weren't rich or anything. So there were a number of women in the ward or in the room that I was in. And so the lady that was uh, right across from me, um, basically her sister came in and she had a lot of people that came in. So she must have been politically connected, but turned out that her, her sister son worked for my husband and um she came over to say hello and and uh, introduce herself and her name was Catherine robinson and she said um i'm running for alder um in the 20th ward it was new hallville ward and when you get out i want you to come and work for my campaign <laughs> you had just given birth and here she is <laughs> And I thought, oh, you know, and I was relatively new to uh, New Haven, and I knew I'd be living here likely for the rest of my life. And I thought this would be a great way to meet people and um, 
when my daughter was about, maybe she was three or four months old, you know, we took the uh, stroller and we went over to Catherine's house. That's where I met Rosa DeLora. This is before she was actually elected and her husband, they came over and they taught us how to go door to door and how to, um, you know, sort of indicate who would be voting for what uh, and why. And, um, and I, I, I was given it two streets. And so that's what I did. And I thought it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. My daughter didn't mind. She seemed to be okay. And so she and I, we, we hit the streets. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's so cool. When, when did you like, how did you move to you being the one running for office? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it was uh, many, many years later. Um, I started working for the city. Actually, Catherine uh, Robinson helped me get that job, oh, which wow. was good. Um, and she and she won. She became the, the alder for our alder women for that word because they were alder women back there, back then. And um, I worked for the city. I was a social services planner, and all of my plans um, had to go before the board of aldermen at the time, and uh, they could vote the plans up or down. They could make adjustments to the plans and then vote them up or down. And, you know, I'd spent a lot of time on these plans and I thought to myself, well, um, they're, they're changing things that are there for a very good reason. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably just don't know. Right. So uh, aside from just uh, telling them, which didn't seem to make much of a difference, it occurred to me that I really need to be there where the final decision is made. And so I, I, my husband was kind of involved in politics in New Haven. Uh, and um, he basically, I went to him and said, gee, you know, I, I'd really like to run for, for Alder. Uh, actually, one of my friends who lived across the street had been the Alder. And I thought she seemed to do a good job. You know, our current Alder was someone other than that person. And I thought, and I said to him, gee, you know, I think that that's what I should do. He said, Absolutely not. I don't want my wife to be a politician. That's not what women do. And so, you know, I thought to myself, but, but I really, I really think I could contribute a lot, you know, that look, you know, here are all the things that we're trying to do and they, they get changed at the automatic level. And he, he still was not willing to do that. The neighbor down the street was the ward committee chairman and and I had also spoken to him about it. And he basically said he didn't think so, you know, like, but if you wanted to be get involved, you can get involved at the ward level. And so um, he put me on the ward committee and um, and it was actually a pretty active ward committee. Now that um, I sort of see other ward committees around the city, it was one of the more active ones. And um, we they were having elections. This was after I was on for a short while. And they were able to fill the, the ward chairman. Uh, they were able to fill the treasurer. Uh, but they were not able to fill the secretary position. And now I went to, um, to college in Chicago. I went to Roosevelt University. And uh, during the time that I was in college, the Black Panthers were very active. And you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with um, oh, so much ward committee. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, there was this one guy who was in college with us and he was 
not the top uh, Panther in Chicago, but he was like the minister of information. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to be like him. I know they call this job the secretary job, but it can be powerful if you think of yourself as the minister of information, that you're the one that gets that. to dissect and sort of make a, a decision about um, what it is that's transmitted to the rest of the community. And, you know, nobody ever did that. They just took minutes at the meeting. And I thought, what, what if I do a newsletter? And what if I send it around? And what if I make sure that my name is prominent so people will learn who oh I Oh, my God, am? I love it. It was intuitive. You just, or like, wow. And wow. so that's basically what I did. And then, you know, like, honestly, a few years later, the, the automatic seat came up again. And um, our alderman had been sick and really wasn't going to meetings. And, and so I went back um, to most of the people on the committee and I said, gee, I think I'd like to run. And they said, uh, many of them said, yes. My husband was supporting a number of candidates for alderman and for mayor. And um, there were like nine candidates that he was, well, eight. And then I said, well, gee, can I just run too? Because I've helped all these people over the years. Can I, I uh, run? And so he finally broke down and said, yes. Later, he told me he said yes, because he thought I wouldn't win. Oh. But, <laughs> but wow. as it turned out, um, I worked really hard. I went to every door at least three or four times. I talked to as many people as possible. And the interesting thing is after being minister of information and all of the rest of that, um, when it came to the ward committee vote, I lost that vote by one vote wow. because the mayor's office at the time wanted to keep the person in that was in there. And they were able to talk to some of the people who had contracts with the city, et cetera, who um, were able to sort of say, let's just keep the person that we have, even if she doesn't go to meetings. And um, um, long story short is I didn't win the ward committee vote, but I only lost it by one. So I knew that I had core support and I decided to run in the primary with those other nine people who were running primaries too. And the interesting thing is I was the only one of the nine who won. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I um, later learned at a, a women's um, event at Southern that women win 51% uh, of the time in a vacant seat. Um, Oh, wow. So I didn't know that nobody ever told me you're not supposed to primary people that are already in the seat. I just didn't learn that until way later, way, way, way later. But <laughs> at any rate, I'd already done it twice. So. Wow. And I mean, you know, it's interesting to hear about, you know, not having the support of your husband in running. Did you, because I, I just feel like a lot of women sometimes probably have, um, you know, first don't feel like they're qualified enough to run. But then also, if they don't get the support of their spouse, that's our, also a, another hurdle that they just feel is insurmountable. What, how did that make you feel? And did you really feel like you couldn't push back on that? Did you, um, I don't know, it, you know, because I kind of would be like, well, that's your problem. See you later. But I'm, you know, I was raised, you know, I was raised, you know, well, I shouldn't say because my mom probably would have, you know, kind of raised me to be 
you know, you're respectful of your husband and, you know, you do a partnership. It's not about you. Um, maybe that's why I'm still unmarried, but, um, <laughs> you know, what, what did that, what, did, I'm just curious what that felt like for you. Cause this is supposed to be your biggest champion, but yet underestimated you. Well, you know, it felt, I felt limited to be honest with yeah. you. And I, and I really felt like, um, that I would need his support to move forward. So I, I, uh, I just, I, I mean, the other thing is I believe that if it's for you to do that, you'll find a way to do it. And so I never, and I think that you take no as the first step and, um, you know, you just keep working. It's yes. Yeah. So that's advice for other women who may be <laughs> facing like figuring out how to handle that. If their partner isn't, you know, they want to run, but they're, partner isn't as supportive as they would yeah you know. no is not ever the final answer <laughs> I think that's probably good advice for uh marriage probably in general <laughs> oh that's you awesome. know there's always going to be a time when you want to say no and you say well okay no and they're like well what you know and then finally there's a point where you can negotiate mm. And, you know, that comes up quite a bit. So you've just got to remember that there are opportunities to get people to change their mind, <laughs> no matter who they are. Awesome. Right. Awesome. And I think I think that just speaks volumes, because even even if it's not a spouse, sometimes you're put in like places where it could be like family members or it could e- either be like other people in, in the political atmosphere that may say no. And you're like, I'll take that no for now, but I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep persevering through. And then that no is going to change into maybe, and then maybe you turn into yes. And either way, you just keep pushing. So I, I think that speaks volumes, especially to a lot of women who, who want to run, but maybe they're getting that no. And, th- and that'll tell them to keep pushing because you're going to get that yes eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the thing I found about women is women don't want to run for their egos. Right. They want to run because they want to, uh, create change and they want to make things better for their family, for the community ultimately. And, you know, that's what mo- should motivate you. And, you know, like it, and it's okay to get a no because one day you'll get a yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I'm trying to see, I mean, you have a long, you've got a long political resume that you you ran for uh did you go from alder to state rep to state senator was that no i jumped all the way to state senator so i ran yeah Yeah. because you know i don't know if you remember herb stolberg but he was the speaker of the house when i was thinking about it and i i knew that that wouldn't be good for the community for me to run against him if i won oh that's right i forgot he's from new haven right yeah yeah and and i lived in his district so so, so no, I never uh, did that. And then I, I, um, I, I, Chuck Allen was the state senator when I, when I decided to run and, you know, he w- had run into some difficulty um, and um, then he had someone running against him. And so I thought that if, I ran, I, and I wasn't really good at political strategy, probably I'm not that great today, but um, that if I ran too, that he would have a better chance. So I was actually running to help him, but I won. So. <laughs> you keep winning. I love it. 
And then you, I mean, and you ran for state Senate like multiple times. I mean, I don't, did you, did, I mean, you were such a strong figure. Did you ever have a really an, an opponent? I don't. Oh, yeah, I had an opponent almost every race. You did, okay. Uh, particularly uh, because remember, you know, my district went into West Haven Right. And, you know, New Haven is largely a Democratic town. So yeah. you got the Democratic nomination, you know, you get the New Haven vote. But there were Republicans <laughs> in West Haven. Yeah. And uh, so often I would get uh, uh, a, a Republican opponent. Um, and, and I think I had an opponent in every single every single race in, when I was in the Senate. Right. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've had an opponent every time that I've run just about, except maybe uh, when I was older, one, one race, okay. but yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. I, w- I want to I ask, what are some of the obstacles, like just me being a, a woman of color and being in, into politics, I guess, but in a different way, um, what are some of the obstacles that you had to face like with, with running or like even getting support just as a woman, a woman of color? You know, I think that, uh, at least as alder women, uh, there was a woman who had was alder prior to my being alder, so that people were used to having a woman alder. Um, but the fact that you know, one of the obstacles that I had was that when I ran, I ran against an incumbent, and you know, running is just part of it. You've got to then go and and represent your people, and so. Um, a lot of people were angry that were in the on the board at the time, board of alders that I won, and took their friend out, and so um, I I had to deal with that. And I don't know if it was because, again, that I was a woman, or that just because I I was um, not on the side that everyone was in. So I really had to prove prove myself. But when I ran for senate, is when I really ran into to problems being a female. I remember standing out in front of Lincoln Bassett School and you know, trying to get uh, support. It was raining. And there was, there was one of the local political activists on a bullhorn basically saying to everybody that was coming to the polls, you don't want to have a woman representing you because women are weak. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, Can you imagine you know, if that was I, today? I, <laughs> I know. I know. Well, it was just really, and you know, and I was standing there thinking, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't believe that he's actually doing that, but people were paying attention and, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I won that ward, but just barely. And, you know, it was like, um, it, at least it was in your face. I think there's a lot of it today that exists that is not in your face. So you don't really know that that's what's going on. And so, um, but I do believe that 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 women um, are often respected in ways that that they don't really understand. And I know that that our culture has always sort of placed men at the highest pedestal of leadership. Um, but intuitively, I believe that women are respected too. And so I don't think that um, you should feel like um, you don't, you shouldn't run because you're a woman or because people think that women can't lead. Women lead, I think, in better ways oftentimes than men do um, because they're considerate 
of everyone. They're oftentimes consensus builders without losing uh, the core of what they're trying to achieve, but making everyone feel like um, they're a part of it and bringing as many people in as possible. And so, um, and so I think that women have got to remember that they bring something unique to the table, probably that we need, that we haven't had, that will take us to that next level as a, a democracy and, and as communities. Was there a time like when you were mayor or, I, I mean, I, you were co-chair of appropriations, I, you know, in the Senate and, you know, being mayor of a city like New Haven, where there's, there's so much, um, like, would you, is there a, a moment that sticks out in your mind that like being a woman actually helped you navigate um, a, a particular situation or bring a resolution to, a, you know, an issue or something that just wasn't moving and you were able to get it unstuck and push it forward? You know, I, I've got to first sort of um, say that there's a, a person who lives in my district who I respect a lot, who was worked for um, the state of Connecticut. I believe she worked for the Office of Policy and Management of Susan Weisselberg. Oh, when I, he's awesome. Yeah. When I, when I won uh, the state Senate, she met with me and um, she was the only person who sort of met with me to really tell me how it actually works. And so she basically, and now, now I say she, she's a woman, right? Um, she basically said, look, um, what do you want to do? You know, you're in Senate, you're going to chair um, a committee. And um, so I worked for, for years at, at a healthcare center. I, I said, you know, I think public health would be perfect for me. And she said, well, whatever committee you get, um, if they're going to give you public health, because at that particular time is when the, all the change was occurring in healthcare. Um, and so it was a really sought after position. She oh, said, wow. make sure that whatever it is that you get, that you get appropriations and you become the subcommittee uh, co-chair of, um, of that committee that oversees the spending for the policy that, um, that you'll be implementing on your policy committee. That was the best advice that anyone had ever given me. Wow. So uh, I was told by the leadership because the leadership assigns chairs that no, you could not have, um, you couldn't have uh, public health. We're gonna give you uh, social services, right? Um, the human services committee. And so, of course, because it's welfare and they figured, you know, I'm black, you know, like black people are on welfare. <laughs> <laughs> and I basically said, well, the only way I'll take that position is if I get to be over that area on appropriations, because I want appropriations and I want to be over that area. Well, what I didn't know, what they didn't really think about, I, I think they did know because the guy who wanted public health also wanted to be over um, human services on appropriations because he knew that over a fourth of the budget was the human services, services budget. Right. 
Yeah. And so, um, interesting. And so because of that information that Susan, it made all the difference in the world yeah. in terms of my effectiveness in the, um, in the general assembly and for the work that I could do on behalf of, of other people. Mm-hmm. And so we started out, um, expanding um, healthcare coverage because I, I don't know if you remember under the Clintons, they had the, uh, the children's health uh, bill, the CHIPS bill. Oh, chip, and yeah, so, yep. so we were able to start expanding healthcare coverage under that program. Um, and I did it with Jack Thompson. So uh, working with uh, other people, but we, we were the co-chairs of that committee. We were able to be, put money into that program that really changed, I believe, that the health lives of, of people in our state. And then by the time that the um, uh, uh, Obamacare or the, I'm, I'm forgetting the formal name of it, but the, the, the yeah, yeah. Okay. By, by the time that came around, our state had already almost, um, taking care of all of the children that uh, needed wow. to have uh, some form of a subsidy so that we were way ahead in it. And I think it, the reason that we have um, our Connecticut access program is so uh, uh, good is because we had really, um, with the controller and different people uh, who had been in that position, Nancy, and, and we were able to sort of move it um, well beyond what a lot of states, um, particularly the states in the South were. So I'm really proud of, of, of that. Um, and um, one of the things though that I, I felt was really important and I don't know, and I think that women would feel this way, but what I, what I thought was we needed to do is that when people came to me that I should think uh, who needed things, that I should think of myself as a conjunction, the conjunction and so that, uh, uh, I was either responsible for linking people to the resources that they needed or to the, no, no matter what those resources were, whether they were financial or whether there were ways in which they could help build and bulk up the policy initiatives that, um, that, that they wanted to see implemented. And so I think women kind of can do that if, if they're in the right place. And, and I got in the right place because of a woman. Yeah, no, and that's, the network, the behind the scenes network um, that, you know, woman to woman um, and someone to give you like flat out conversation and um, like just saying, here's how it goes and this is what you wanna do. So uh, that's awesome. Um, All right, let's move to some fun questions that are uh, (laughs) (laughs) a little bit more, but um, who would you say is, uh, who's your favorite president of all time? Well, you know, I guess I would have to say it's, Barack Obama, I think that he had um, a really tough time. He came in with the economy um, faltering. He was able to turn it around. Um, and he made healthcare accessible to millions of people who didn't have it. And, um, and he was a gentleman yeah. and uh, someone that I think everyone could um, look up to no matter where they come from. Um, um, and, and, I, and I think that Michelle, I mean, I know that there, it was a wonderful partnership yes. where she was able to do things and, and he supported her, but he also, you know, they, they worked together to really make things better for people. And I just, so I, I would say him, you know, he was, 
yeah. man enough to give his wife some space. Yes. Yes. Okay. Here's a, here's a good one. (laughs) Here's a funny one. Um, If they're making a movie about you, what actor should play you? (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I don't know. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I can't. Uh, Is there any actor uh, that you admire most? That, uh... You know, I, I, I'm really blocking on, on, on actors, but I guess, um, T, what's her name? Uh, is her name Regina? Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Regina King? Like? Regina King. Yeah. 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 I think I would like her. She's you know? great. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what, like on election day? Was there a particular song or uh, music or like a group or performer that you would listen to to kind of get you psyched up or uh, or even throughout uh, your political career? Was there somebody that kind of like helped get you motivated and going for the day or when you're kind of feeling low, like it perked you up? Well, you know, I love this song. Ain't no stopping us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, yeah. That and actually, that's pretty great for like how your political career began because it was you know the not taking no I'm there's no you kept moving on and you're gonna get there so yeah that's perfect yeah. that's perfect um, and I guess let's see um, if you could have dinner with anyone alive or dead who would it be great one <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> You know, I think I'd love to have dinner with Harriet Tubman to see, you know, what motivated her, what gave her the courage to bring people out of slavery and to just continue and to, she lived a long life, but she lived a productive life. And I, I would really, I'd love to pick her brain (laughs) and hear what she has to say about all of that. Awesome. Yeah. And hopefully we get her on the, uh, the $20 bill. Uh, yeah. I think great. that's moving. Uh, I think that's been, I think the Biden's moving that forward or said that he would, I think. Um, okay. So that would be, uh, I thought I saw that in news headlines. I, my news is like in headlines these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I know this is great. I think we have one last question to wrap it all up. Uh, Tanaya, yeah. you want to? Uh, what would be the top three things a woman needs to know um, about working in politics? Like what advice would you give them? That, uh, that, that, you know, you, you are welcome to work in politics, that you bring uh, a unique perspective that needs to be at the table. And that when you work in politics and you can get things done for your community that maybe had never been done before and that your community ultimately needs you to be involved. Don't you let